0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to a somewhat more normal version of Radio Parallax. At least that is our plan today. The last couple of programs were... uh... We're done differently. We spoke at great length to author James Eugenio about his book Destiny Betrayed, JFK, Cuba, and the Garrison Case. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of the 35th president. We've decided to spend a little bit of time talking about that most famous murder mystery, but we thought it deserved at least uh, the better part of uh, a couple of hours, so the last two programs were devoted to talking about that pretty much exclusively. And I must say, as to regards our last two programs, I am unable to resist, uh, quoting from a letter from someone I enlisted to critique our discussion. This person is a well-known and well-respected JFK assassination researcher. Realizing this this is a tough topic to try and summarize in a short period of time, I asked her to uh, just basically give me some feedback, to which, She wrote back under the heading, please forward to Jim. Congratulations to both of you for putting on a very interesting and entertaining show. Doug, when you first asked me to sit down and listen to a show on the JFK case, I wanted to hide. I OD'd on that stuff long ago. Realizing I had no place to hide, I ran screaming through the streets. (laughs) But I settled down, had a glass of wine, and because you're such a fine fellow, I decided I'd better honor your request. I put a rag between my teeth and clicked on your website. I was pleasantly surprised. I must congratulate you, both you and Jim, for putting on an engaging show. In fact, it was so engaging, I wanted to hear more. Of course, some of it was familiar, but you made it seem like breaking news. It was also a comedy show. I love the story of the two suicide notes. Maybe they thought David Ferry was schizophrenic and needed one note for each personality. Adding, this case has so much evidence of cheapness on the part of the conspirators. They used cut-rate agents, Curly, Larry, and Moe. I don't know about that, but I promise you we will be returning to this topic in the weeks and months to come. Because it's highly relevant today. Listen to Fresh Air with Terry Gross yesterday on Capitol Public Radio, I believe it was. And they had a guest who was talking about how intelligence these days has blurred the line between the CIA and the Pentagon. And whether it's a Democrat or Republican in the White House, these guys have been pretty much running the show, which frankly takes us directly back to 1963, but um, we're not gonna say any more about that today. Instead, let's return to starting the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 11th of April. It was 300 years ago today, April 11th in 1713, that the Treaty of Utrecht ended the wars of Louis XIV. They fixed borders and resolved sovereignty issues on the continent and settled conflicts over colonial possessions in the Americas. And 101 years later, April 11th in 1814 in France, Napoleon Bonaparte abdicated the throne, but somehow managed to keep his title as emperor, although he now ruled only the tiny island of Elba. The Emperor of Elba managed to make an escape, raise an army, and drench Europe in blood one more time before he was finally exiled, this time to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in St. Helena, where he did not escape. On April 11th in 1898, U.S. President William McKinley, in the wake of the mysterious destruction of the USS Maine in Havana Harbor, caved in to public war fever. Of course, the word public in this case probably refers more directly to William Randolph Hearst, and asked Congress for authority to wage war against Spain. As a result of the Spanish-American War, the United States picked up the colonial possessions of Cuba, the Philippines, and Puerto Rico. And yes, we still have Puerto Rico, although this correspondent cannot explain why. Here's a happy one. April 11th, 1915, Charlie Chaplin's third film, The Tramp, was released. This film was, in fact, made just about 100 miles away in the town of Niles, California, which is now part of Fremont. This is this correspondent's hometown. And i got to say, all my life I've thought it was pretty cool that Charlie Chaplin filmed The Tramp in my neighborhood. On a horrifying note, on April 11th 1945, the American 3rd Army liberated the Buchenwald concentration camp near near Weimar, Germany the camp would be judged second only to Auschwitz in the horrors it imposed on the prisoners. Among those saved was Elie Weissel, winner of the 1986 Nobel Peace Prize. And yes, those people who claim the Holocaust never happened are flat-out insane, or incredibly stupid, or both. And on April 11th 1986, 27 years ago, Halley's Comet came within 63 million kilometers of Earth, which it turns out was not very close and put on a rather miserable show. In fact, it was the worst appearance of Halley's Comet since the first century A.D., which irked the hell out of a lot of people, such as myself. who had been waiting for 20 years for it to show up and give a spectacular appearance, such as the one in 1910 witnessed by my grandfather, wherein the comet spread across two-thirds of the night sky. My grandpa in Hawaii saw two-thirds of the night sky occupied by the comet, I went down to Tahiti. I saw a half of a Q-tip at arm's length. But folks, mark your calendar. It's coming back in 2061, which at this point is only 48 years from now. I dare say an awful lot of you are going to be there to witness it. And the one we'll go out with was that it was on April 11, 1970, that the Beatles' Let It Be hit number one on the pop charts one day after Paul McCartney formally announced the group's breakup. 1970. Hard to believe. Will we, we can lean on. And if you want it well, you can lean on me. Our quote of the day, and I'll have more to say about this later, comes from author Douglas Adams, who once said, "If you really want to understand something, the best way is to try and explain it to someone else." We will kick that around in some other aspects of trying to deal with mathematics as it is taught in America, or at least as it's taught to the seventh grader in my neighborhood whose homework I helped him with recently. And I may want to digress slightly to note that on this program in the past, I have suggested that the mathematics instructors of this nation possibly should be put in prison for the crap they have made us confused about. I now have modified that. I now believe they should be put in concentration camps. Of course, that little opinion, like all of those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California, particularly its various math departments, I'm sure. But moving right along, our quip of the day, and this one's pretty irresistible, from Jay Leno, (laughs) said last week, folks, I've got to be honest with you, I had a really awkward day today. I had to call up David Letterman and tell him he didn't get The Tonight Show again, And Speaking of late night, we have the writers of Jimmy Kimmel to thank for this one. Walmart will test a new delivery method for customers who order online. They're asking shoppers to drop stuff off for other shoppers on their way home. In exchange, Walmart would give them a discount on their bill. So if you've always wanted to work for Walmart, but didn't want to get bogged down with the paycheck and health care, this is for you. Our stat of the day... The world currently has 7 billion people walking about on this uh, this sphere that we live on. 6 billion have access to mobile phones, but only 4.5 billion have access to a working toilet. All right, we didn't do the good, the bad, and the ugly on last week's show, so let's make up for it today, shall we? According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this last week for starting that diet with the news that a new airline, Samoa Air, has begun charging passengers by the pound. Said CEO Chris Langton, since heavier passengers use up more fuel, there's no doubt in my mind that this is the concept of the future. Well, I have to admit, he has a point. Is it fair that everybody pays the same? I mean, I take a little extra weight in my baggage and I get hit with an extra fee. What if I'm carrying 350 pounds around with me on both my legs? I don't know. Maybe This may be a concept for the future. It was, on the other hand, a couple weeks back, a bad week for bucket lists. After Boston police found a scribbled checklist on a suspected burglar, Evan Dorsey had penned a list that included... <laughs> Such goals as, quote, find crystal meth, unquote. Also, sell drugs, in quotes. And, quote, rob a dealer, unquote. But, of course, we do have a certain awe moment to this. He also added, quote, do one altruistic thing for a stranger, unquote. Now, we don't know whether that includes giving away some of the crystal meth that you just robbed from the dealer. But doggone it, isn't it the thought that counts? And it was an ugly week last week for America's disgrace of a legal system. This one's hard to believe. But an Ohio prosecutor sought the death penalty for Puxatawney Phil, arguing that the famous groundhog misled millions of people by predicting an early spring. Said Michael Gamoser, Puxatawney Phil has let us down. I awoke this morning to a snowstorm, low temperatures, and howling wind. Evidently, Moser dropped the lawsuit after Phil's handlers took responsibility for the error. And it was, I guess, a good week for handouts, but probably a bad week for the British healthcare system, with the news that an aspiring British pinup model who claimed her flat chest was causing her, quote, emotional distress, unquote, received free 36 double D breast implants from the National Health Service. Said Josie Cunningham, age 22, the sky's the limit now that I've got my new boobs. Josie, we have our doubts on that, but good luck. And finally, we're not sure whether it's a good, bad, or ugly week for this item, but a new poll has found that 30% of Americans believe that a, quote, secretive power elite, unquote, is conspiring to rule the world. And 15% believe the government adds secret mind-controlling technology to TV broadcasts. Now, we here at Radio Parallax are not buying the TV broadcast part. Oh, it is mind-controlling technology, no doubt about that. We just don't think it's all that secretive. And as far as that power elite conspiring to rule the world, um, yeah, is that controversial? Because i got a book in my, uh, on my shelf at home talking about the power elites of the world, and it is sort of disconcerting to see how often names from the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, and also another book, Skull and Bones, well, people from those groups just turn up disproportionately among the world's power elite. You're free to draw your own conclusions as to whether that's a coincidence or not. And speaking of power elite, how about this item? Dateline Redding, Gary T. Armitage, a former Santa Rosa investment advisor, accused of helping to bilk North State residents out of hundreds of millions of dollars, was sentenced to 10 years in prison Monday following an emotional hearing where victims of the Ponzi scheme cursed him for ruining their lives. Yeah, apparently this guy and a couple of accomplices uh, got together to swindle thousands of people out of $200 million, for which he's going to serve Ten years in the slammer. Now, I had a friend of mine who had a secret career that none of us knew about of robbing banks. He robbed quite a few banks, actually. Took away, I think, something like $100,000, which he had to split with various accomplices. He got 30 years. So, steal $100,000 with a gun, get 30 years. Swindle thousands of people out of $200 million, you get 10 years. That doesn't seem too reasonable, does it? Which forces me to segue briefly into a headline from uh, the New York Times as reprinted in the Sacramento Bee, which was Lawyer shortage creates hardships for rural areas. Yes, apparently one-fifth of the nation lives in rural areas and just 2% of lawyers practice there. Which I think circles back perfectly to the quote from Willie Sutton. When asked uh, why it was he robbed banks, he replied, That's where the money is. I think we'll just leave that one be. But uh, this does uh, sync up perfectly with the editorial in the March 23rd issue of New Scientist, which addressed the issue of moral bankruptcy. He started out with the following, Rob a bank and you risk a long stretch in jail. Run a bank whose dubious behavior leads to global economic collapse and you risk nothing of the sort. More likely, a handsome payout. Yeah, we'll return to this topic when we have a little more time to devote to it. At which point, we'll try and address the issue of Occupy. A piece by Dave Camp in the Sacramento News and Review notes that uh, Occupy Sacramento, although depleted in numbers, keeps making noise. Heck, we may have to hear from down under. Our good friend Pamela Taylor is part of Occupy Cans, and probably the person most directly affiliated with Occupy who contributes to this program. We'll be taking a look at that movement. We'll also be taking a look at Drone Mania. People seem to think that having drones flying all over the state of California would be a great idea. We had to admire Jack Oman's column in the Sacramento Bee on this very topic, which showed in one panel a bunch of drones hauling water to Southern California. Another one creating a new job for <laughs> Gavin Newsom. when well, You see him outside a bookstore signing his new book, Droneville. Also showed how they may be able to use drones to bring Nevada's mentally ill people to California faster than a greyhound. Another cartoon which the be asked readers to caption showed a huge, huge pile of muck. There's a sign on the side of the truck saying, Acme Tunnel Muck Delivery Company. Apparently, the winning caption on that was something on lines of, Looks as though we've got enough to fill in all those Southern California swimming pools. Another item which is frankly irresistible also comes from New Scientist magazine from their feedback section at the rear. A man named Simon wrote the magazine to report that placebos are now available to the general public. Quoted from some bouncy publicist who wrote, Never before has the ordinary person been able to go and get placebos for themselves or their family. Although used in virtually every drug trial, this is the first time these powerful agents have been available on demand. But here's the part we at Radio Parallax just... Find irresistible. A kit comes with this for homeopathic placebo. Apparently, it sets you back just 15 pounds and comes with instructions on how to dilute it. Yes, folks, we don't mind telling you that the term homeopathic placebo is a redundancy. And we take great delight in noting that uh, The Economist magazine has a review of a book titled Maverick Genius The Pioneering Odyssey of Freeman Dyson. The physics department here at UC Davis brought the remarkable Freeman Dyson to, uh, to give a talk some years back. We were able to snag him for this radio program and and went on at some length uh, with him, I think, filling up the better part of an hour, like we did with Jim Eugenio. Something worth doing now and again. I also observed last week that apparently the physics department has forgiven Capital Public Radio for uh, what it did uh, to Mr. Dyson on the Insight program, which, uh, which we think is good. His description to me of that interview when we were trying to listen him to come on this program was a disaster. Personally, I think he was being a bit optimistic. And to which I would add, we have a very firm policy on this program that before we invite a guest on, we find out who the hell he is. To which we would add to budding radio people, you really can't go wrong adopting that policy. We do note something that uh, we did not know from reading the piece in The Economist, that Dyson never has gotten around to getting his doctorate. So he's not Dr. Freeman Dyson. He's a tremendously well-respected thinker at the Princeton Institute for uh, Advanced Study and uh, has been given a look by the Nobel Prize Committee on many occasions, and they just can't quite seem to figure out what they're going to give him a Nobel for. Which leads us up to the reminder that if you did not catch our interview with Freeman Dyson, please check it out at our archives at radioparallax.com. All right, and rising from the dead like a vampire after sunset is, yes, The Shroud of Turin. It's back. There's apparently been a a new book released by Giulio Fanti, apparently THE Giulio Fanti, of the University of Padua, which, um, well, it's titled The Mystery of the Shroud, which claims that based on chemical and mechanical tests on fibers of material extracted for the carbon dating research that it really dates to the 1st century A.D. Most experts, of course, stand by the carbon dating of scraps of the cloth that dated to the 13th or 14th century. It is a medieval forgery. Yet it went on display on television last week, which prompted the new pope, Pope Francis, to send a special video message to the event in Turin's Cathedral while making no claim the image of on the shroud of a man with wounds similar to those suffered by Jesus really was that of Jesus he called the cloth an icon not a relic which apparently is an important distinction to some you know some years back we talked about this on this program i guess we're going to have to do it again god help us all now we're going to take a we're going to take a break in a minute here in our third segment we like to do obituaries and man do we have quite an assortment of lives to take a look at uh, people who have passed in the past week or two. Among them, the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, movie reviewer and pop icon Roger Ebert, the one-of-a-kind Annette Funicello, the also one-of-a-kind former porn pioneer Harry Reams, recording legend Phil Ramone, and Russian oligarch Boris Berezovsky. Every single one of these folks is deserving of a few words, but we will not do so on today's program because in our third segment we're going to talk to an old friend of ours about how he snuck into the U.S. from Mexico on no less than four separate occasions. We recorded that chat last week and we're looking forward to play it in our third segment, so we're going to talk about some of these obituaries in the weeks to come. They they certainly deserve it. I do want to make one passing mention, of all people, of, of, of Harry Reems. Because back in 1974, Reams, who had a relatively small part, although prominent part, in the movie Deep Throat, well, he was arrested by the FBI, along with others associated with that film, on charges of conspiracy to distribute obscenity across state lines. He was found guilty in 1976 and became a First Amendment cause celeb. In fact, Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, and Gregory Peck, and I guess a few others, funded an appeal, and in 1977, Reams' conviction was overturned. We're talking earlier about how you can steal hundreds of millions of dollars and get 10 years, whereas if you rob a bank, you might get 30. We do want to note with some satisfaction that California did reverse the mistake we made here in this state of instituting the three strikes law. I was especially stunned by an accounting of this on uh, on NPR earlier in the week where they talked about a gentleman who'd been turned in by his mother for drug addiction. He'd been stealing, and she decided that he should face the music, turn himself in, and perhaps get some rehab. Well, instead, he got two strikes for burglary. And when later, a $20 vial of rock cocaine was sold, and he was either an innocent bystander, if you believe the defense, or a lookout, if you believe the prosecution, well, that earned him a third strike and a life sentence. Thankfully, we revisited that through the uh, initiative process, which is much hated by professional politicians. And uh, these cases are getting in review, and a lot of people are not having to serve ridiculously long sentences for minimal crimes. I must confess with some chagrin that I did actually vote for the three-strikes law when it came out, because I was assured by prosecutors at that time, we're not going to use this willy-nilly for minor crimes. We're going to keep this in reserve for the serious, violent career criminals and we will use this to put them away what did i forget in all of that well prosecutors are lawyers given a choice between padding their own statistics and improving their lot in life and working for the public good what do you think they're going to choose they did a disclaimer right yep okay good anyway it's time for a break i'm douglas Everett. this is radio parallax uh we got plenty more stick around